the wedding in the most holy place. This is number nine in this series, and it is the closing subject. Please let us pray. Dear Father, as we turn to the Holy Scripture, we ask that the Spirit of God will take possession of our minds so that we may clearly conceive what inspiration intended for us to understand. For we desire above all things to participate in the wedding of our King, and we ask this in his blessed name. Amen. Now if you have your Bible, will you turn to me, with me to Matthew 22? In this chapter, we find that Jesus is telling of his marriage that is taking place within the most holy of heaven's sanctuary. I shall begin reading with verse 2, Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye there unto the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. These are the words of the bridegroom describing his marriage that is taking place within the Most Holy. 
In the Word of God, a marriage is used as a symbol of the union of Christ with his people. This, of course, does not refer to a sexual relationship, for there will be no physical marriage in heaven as some were teaching when Christ was here on earth. For Jesus taught in discussing this parable in Matthew 22, 29, and 30, he said, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And the servant of God adds in Medical Ministry, page 99, the words of Christ are too plain to be misunderstood. They should forever settle the question of marriages and births in the new earth. Neither those who shall be raised from the dead, nor those who shall be translated without seeing death, will marry or be given in marriage. They will be as the angels of God, members of the royal family. However, the marriage of our Lord is not a make-believe, for it is a real event, and it is actually taking place within the most holy of heaven's sanctuary. This marriage represents a relationship in which the saints will live and reign forever with their king. This marriage occurs during the very last phase of the final judgment, when it is determined the individual is accepted by God to be sealed for eternity, joined to Christ forever. When this has been accomplished, this makes it possible for the second coming of Christ, who will then return to this earth to take his bride to his heavenly home, where, together, they will partake of the marriage supper. For it was during the sealing process that Christ's bride was marked as his property and sealed never to sin again, married to Christ for eternity. <clears throat> Such saints will experience a closeness with Christ that even the holy angels have never fully understood. This thrilling experience has been put to music. You will immediately recognize this beautiful hymn found in our church hymnal titled, Holy, Holy is what the angels sing. Listen to the words. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never known, where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. Their sweet harps are ever tuneful and their voices always clear. Oh, that we might 
be more like them while we serve the Master here. Holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption's story, they will fold their wings, for angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. Now, if we are fully to comprehend what is to actually take place in the wedding of our Lord, then we must study the sanctuary service as taught in the Holy Scripture. I have prepared a small booklet entitled The Sanctuary Made Simple, which will help you to understand it in a simple language as to what took place within heaven's sanctuary beginning in the year 1844 A.D. When Jesus, the bridegroom, entered the most holy place to prepare his people for their marriage to him. Let us explore this thrilling subject with an in-depth study of what the marriage symbol stands for in the words of inspiration. First, we will discover that the marriage of Christ to his people is consummated by the time probation closes. Note how clearly this is stated in early writings, page 280. Every case has been decided for life or death. While Jesus has been ministering in the sanctuary, the judgment has been going on for the righteous dead and then for the righteous living. Christ has received his kingdom, having made the atonement for his people and blotted out their sins. The subjects of the kingdom were made up. The marriage of the Lamb was consummated. And the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven was given to Jesus and the heirs of salvation. And Jesus was to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now this brings us to another question. When did the marriage ceremony begin? From the following quotation, we learn that it began in the year 1844 A.D. For Christ, the bridegroom, went into the most holy place to be married to his bride at this specific date. Listen to this, the Great Controversy, page 427. The proclamation, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, in the summer of 1844, led thousands to expect the immediate advent of the Lord. At the appointed time, the bridegroom came, not to the earth as the people expected, but to the Ancient of Days in heaven, to the marriage 
the reception of his kingdom, unquote. This marriage of Christ is spoken of in Holy Scripture in many places. For instance, let me read to you from Great Controversy, page 426, where she puts them all together. Quote, The coming of Christ as our high priest to the most holy place for the cleansing of the sanctuary brought to view in Daniel 8.14 and the coming of the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days as presented in Daniel 7.13 and the coming of the Lord to his temple foretold by Malachi chapter 3.5 are descriptions of the same event and this is also represented by the coming of the bridegroom to the marriage, described by Christ in the parable of the ten virgins of Matthew 25, unquote. Isn't it strange that so few among the professed Adventists seem to realize that this most important event in their life is now taking place even as I speak. This may be difficult for some to comprehend, but it becomes an exciting reality by the simple exercise of faith, which must be demonstrated by works in preparation. Please note the emphasis on the word ready as I read the following in Great Controversy, page 427. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, for it takes place in heaven while they are upon the earth. The followers of Christ are to wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, Luke 12:36. But they are to understand his work and to follow him by faith as he goes in before God. It is in this sense that they are said to go into the marriage. Unquote. You will remember that as we began this study, we were reading from Matthew chapter 22 where Christ clearly emphasized that this marriage was wholly dependent upon the investigative judgment in which each subject was accepted or rejected by their character. Remember how the king came in to view the guests to see if they had a wedding garment on? Let me read it again. Matthew twenty-two, eleven to 12. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. This is why it is so vitally important that we gain the victory over our sins now so that Christ can clothe us 
in his wedding garment of his righteousness. The Great Controversy, page 428, says, quote, In the parable of Matthew 22, the investigative judgment is clearly represented as taking place before the marriage. Previous to the wedding, the king comes in to see his guests, to see if all are attired in the wedding garment, the spotless robe of character, washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. Matthew 22:11, Revelation 7:14. He who is found wanting is cast out, but all who upon examination are seen to have the wedding garment on are accepted of God and accounted worthy of a share in his kingdom and a seat upon his throne. This work of examination of character, of determining who are prepared for the kingdom of God, is that of the investigative judgment, the closing work in the sanctuary above." Unquote. Now this brings us face to face with another important fact, that this marriage is to be finalized just as probation closes for the people of God. In the Great Controversy 428, when the work of investigation shall be ended, when the cases of those who in all ages have professed to be followers of Christ have been examined and decided, then and not till then, probation will close, and the door of mercy will be shut. Thus in one short sentence, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. We are carried down through the Savior's final ministration in the time when the great work of man's salvation shall be completed." Unquote. Those words, the door was shut, reveals that there was indeed two apartments within the heavenly sanctuary, just as there was in the earthly sanctuary. Desmond Ford and his followers who are teaching a new theology that there is only one apartment in God's sanctuary above, are keeping thousands from preparing for their wedding with Jesus. Ellen White writes in her book, Early Writings, in which she tells us that when Christ returned to heaven following his resurrection, that he immediately began his ministry in the first apartment and continued there until the year 1844, when he left the holy place and entered through the door into the second apartment, called in the word of God the most holy place. Notice how unmistakably clear she states this fact as to what took place in 1844. Listen, early writings, page 250. 
Jesus had risen up and shut the door of the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary and has opened a door into the most holy place and entered in to cleanse the sanctuary. <clears throat> so in the cleansing of our sins in the most holy place, the investigative judgment is now taking place. This should be clearly presented to the saints, for the marriage to the Lamb precedes the second coming of Christ. This is why God's last day servant pleads so earnestly for us to prepare for this event, which is now taking place. I am reading from the Youth Instructor, June 30, 1892. Listen to her appeal. Give to God the most precious offering that it is possible for you to make. Give him your heart. He speaks to you saying, My son, my daughter, give me thine heart. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow, for I will cleanse you with my own blood. I will make you members of my family, children of the heavenly king. Take my forgiveness, my peace, which I freely give you. I will clothe you with my own righteousness, the wedding garment, and make you fit for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when clothed in my righteousness, through prayer, through watchfulness, through diligent study of my word, you will be able to reach a high standard. You will understand the truth, and your character will be molded by a divine influence." Unquote. Praise the Lord for such wonderful promises. And then there's another thought. In my 57 years as a gospel minister, I can recall scores of experiences in which I found families which broke apart in separation because of the unfaithfulness of one of the spouses. I recall the shed tears, the broken hearts, the never-ending consequences produced in the innocent lives of forsaken children. But do we realize that unfaithfulness to Christ in our daily living will also end in like tragedy? <clears throat> in Bible Commentary, number 7, page 985, are these stirring words. God is the husband of his church. The church is the bride, the Lamb's wife. Every true believer is a part of the body of Christ. Christ regards unfaithfulness shown to him by his people as the unfaithfulness of a wife to her husband. We are to remember 
that we are members of Christ's body, unquote. This is a good place to remind ourselves that in our marriage relationship with Jesus, we should understand that Christ is married to the church. This is a corporate marriage. Now think it through. For Christ is to be married to all of his true believers. This is why Christ chose the marriage contract to reveal how close his fellowship with the saved is to be. For we are to live with him through all eternity. As I mentioned before, this relationship will be closer than even the sinless angels have ever experienced with their God. Consider that since we were created as human beings, and Christ loved us so much that he came, that he became one like us, being born of Mary into our human family, and to ever remain as such, so that he could die in our place for our sins. Furthermore, he wanted to teach us an unforgettable lesson that as he suffered and overcame as a human by the divine power of his Father's strength, so we as humans can overcome in the mighty power of his strength, who loved us so much that he gave of his precious life on Calvary to save us. Oh, how I love to speak of that wonderful crowning act. Now, as we continue, let us also read the parable which Christ gave regarding his marriage, which he called the parable of the ten virgins. And I am reading this from Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, open up to us. 
But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In the review of August 19, 1896, are these words regarding this parable. Let me read it to you. This parable has been and will be fulfilled to the very letter, for it has a special application to this time, and like the third angel's message has been fulfilled and will continue to be present truth until the close of time. In the parable, had lamps, but only five of them had the saving oil with which to keep their lamps burning. This represents the condition of the church. Unquote. But you may ask, why are the church members called virgins? Christ Object Lessons, page 406. They are called virgins because they profess a pure faith. And what of the lamp and the oil? Did you notice the difference? Matthew 24, 3 and 4. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. This is explained in the book The Sons and Daughters of God, page 118. All had lamps, that is, an outward semblance of religion. But only five of them had the inward piety. Five of them were wanting in the oil of grace. By the lamps is represented the word of God. Christ Object Lessons, page 408. But if we do not practice the truth, we have not received the holy oil. Bible Commentary 4, page 1179. For the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Christ Object Lessons, page 407. And all need to have the oil of grace in their vessels with their lamps. Councils on Health, page 422. Now we can see why we find two parties within the church whose differences are becoming more and more distinct. Let us consider the wise virgins first. These are the true saints who, and I'm reading, had received the grace of God, the regenerating, enlightening power of the Holy Spirit, which renders his word a lamp to the feet and a light to the path. Great Controversy 394. These wise virgins have personally obtained the oil of a righteous character. For we read in Testimonies to Ministers, page 234, the oil is the righteousness of Christ. It represents character, and character is not transferable. No man can secure it for another. Each must obtain for himself 
a character purified from every stain of sin, unquote. This is the condition of the wise virgins when they hear the wake-up call to go forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, let us take a look at the foolish virgins. I am reading Christ Object Lessons, page 411. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. This class are represented also by the stony ground hearers. They receive the word with readiness, but they fail of assimilating its principles. Its influence is not abiding. They do not know God. They have not studied his character. They have not held communion with him. Therefore, they do not know how to trust, how to look, and live. Their service to God degenerates into a form. This is the class that in time of peril are found crying peace and safety. They lull their hearts into security and dream not of danger." Unquote. What an eye-opener! With this description of the foolish virgins, it should cause each of us to closely examine ourselves by asking, do I really know my God? Are my prayers genuine, more than just a mere form? Does my personal life every hour of the day reflect the character of my heavenly husband-to-be? Am I so living now that when that divine moment arrives, he can place his wedding garment upon me because I too have overcome as he overcame? Please, please consider this following quotation which clearly clarifies these foolish virgins. Bible Commentary 4, page 1179. If they cherished hereditary and cultivated traits of character that misrepresent Christ, while professedly his disciples, they are represented by the man coming to the gospel feast without having on a wedding garment and by the foolish virgins, which had no oil in their vessels with their lamps." Unquote. And remember these unforgettable words found in the Review, August 19, 1890. The character we cultivate, the attitude we assume today, is fixing our future destiny. 
And what does this marriage ceremony really represent? Great Controversy, page 426, the marriage represents the reception by Christ of his kingdom, a kingdom of individuals who have been committed to Christ in total submission to divine rulership. Thus, they are ready for the marriage. And now, there is one more important question which we need to answer. Why are we hearing from so many of God's saints today the question, why is the Lord delaying his coming? Well, just listen to this. Found in Sons and Daughters of God, page 118. The reason why the bridegroom delays is because he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, what a precious, long-suffering, merciful Savior that we have. And finally, what is to be our response when the last wake-up call is given? In Christ Object Lessons, page 412, it is in a crisis that character is revealed. When the earnest voice proclaims at midnight, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him, and the sleeping virgins were roused from their slumber. It was seen who had made preparation for the event. Both parties, notice, both parties were taken unawares, but one was prepared for the emergency, and the other was found without preparation. The great final test comes at the close of human probation, when it will be too late for the soul's need to be supplied. We cannot be ready to meet the Lord by waking when the cry is heard, Behold the bridegroom, and then gathering up our empty lamps to have them replenished. And so it is that those who are called the foolish virgins, they will find the door shut. For the reason is very obvious. Testimonies to Ministers, page 445. Those who, while having all the light of truth flashing upon their souls, should have works corresponding to their avowed faith, but are allured by sin, setting up idols in their hearts, corrupting their souls before God, and polluting those who unite with them in sin, will have their names blotted out of the book of life and be left in midnight darkness, having no oil in their vessels with their lamps." Unquote. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad to realize that so many will be refused admittance to the marriage? For I read in Testimonies 9, page 252, 
those who have given God only half-hearted service, allowing their lives to be conformed to the ways and practices of the world, will hear the sad words, Depart from me, I know you not. And now, let me read what I consider to be God's wake-up call for us today, found in Testimonies 9, page 48. Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Be always ready, in the evening, in the morning, and at noon. And when the cry is heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him, you may, even though awakened out of sleep, go forth to meet him with your lamps trimmed and burning. Let us pray. Merciful Father, in the name of Jesus we plead that the Holy Spirit will continually night and day, keep our thoughts on ever being ready for that greatest event in our life, our marriage to such a loving Savior, which is taking place within the sanctuary of God now. Amen. satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has suffered to
Thank you.